Thank you for tuning in to the City Light West Council Bluff Sermon Podcast. We are a church that exists to multiply disciples and churches that is located in Council Bluffs, Iowa. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org or follow us on Facebook at City Light West Council Bluffs and Instagram at City Light West CB. Thanks, Kim. Oh, no, you can keep that. I got I got my mic on. <laughs> Kim, you're a blessing to our church. You're one of those people who every time I see you, it just puts a smile on my face. Thank you. Thank you for just being you. Uh, City Light, uh, good morning. Man, it's been an awesome morning so far. Wake up with one less hour of sleep with some cloudy skies and some rain, but then you come in here and we get to experience worship together. We get to open up the Bible together. It's exciting. This is a good time. Uh, and let, let me, can I start off by telling you guys about the first time I went to the casino? I'm probably the only pastor uh, this side of the Mississippi who's going to open their sermon that way, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so here we go. Uh, so I was back in Kansas City. I turned 21, and obviously 21 is the legal drinking age, but it's also the age when you can get into the casino for the first time. And so we decided to go that route. And so we went to the casino. It was a few buddies, like three or four buddies and me. And uh, the truth is, is that none of us had ever been to a casino before. Now, I honestly didn't really even know how most of the games worked. Like, I was like, I've played poker before, like with uh, extra Halloween candy where you could kind of pass. Like, I'll trade you a Snickers. I'll raise you a Reese's for that Snickers. You know what I'm saying? But I'd never played a real game of poker before. So I was out of my element. I honestly didn't even know, like, how do you get chips? I don't know. I'm just wandering around. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where I am. But I did find that there was a free soda machine. And so we got free soda, which was awesome. Uh, So, but we wandered around for about 30 minutes before we finally got to the roulette table. And I'm like, I know this. It's red or black. Uh, I can get around that concept. That's not too far above my intellect. So red or black. And so we sat down at that table. I put down $20 on my first bet and learned why going to the casino is always a bad idea. I lost that money in 15 seconds. One roll of the dice, that money was gone. And, and that first, yeah, or the, the ball thing around the circle. Uh, and like, it's so, uh, I le- that first roll was an indicator of the rest of the night. So me and about four buddies show up to the casino with $50 each, and we leave the casino all with $0, and we'd honestly only burned about 45 minutes of the night. Like, it was like that. And 30 minutes of that was just drinking soda from the soda machine. And so it just wasn't our night, as they say. It's just not our night. Uh, And I remember that phrase, it's just not our night. We used to use that a lot for like sporting events. Like if if you're playing basketball and you shoot a jump shot and you can't buy one all day long, you say, it's just not my day. Just not, or if if you're you're playing baseball, you just can't throw a strike for whatever reason. You get pulled from the game. It just what, you know, it just wasn't your day. We all have days. We all have nights that just aren't our night, so to speak. 
Like imagine this, like you wake up in the morning to go to work one day and it snowed overnight. So now you have to scrape off the windows and shovel the driveway before you even go to work. And then you go into work and your boss is on your tail for some reason and your coworker isn't picking up slack. But then when you finally get home from work, you're like, okay, relax time. But then the dishwasher breaks. And so you got to pull it all apart and try to fix it. It's just not your night. Or let's say your spouse leaves for the day and you're with the kids and the very first thing they do when they wake up is spill their apple juice all over the floor. And while you're cleaning that up, they start drawing on the walls and then the littlest one has a diaper blowout. And then, and then you cook dinner for them. You, after all this time of cleaning up their messes, you cook dinner for them, sit them down and they won't eat it. It's just not your day. We all have days where things just don't seem to work out. We all have days where we screw up, where things just don't add up. Things are messed up. We, we all have those kind of days. And honestly, this morning, Peter is having a night like that. He's having a not my night kind of night. Peter fails over and over again in our passage in Matthew 26. Peter is having a not my night kind of night. So let's, let's read how his day starts. It's in Matthew 26. We'll start in verse 30, read through 35 right now. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So as background, Chuck talked about last week, this is Jesus and his disciples. They're leaving what's called the Last Supper. The Last Supper is Jesus' last meal before he is to be arrested and crucified. And this is right after Jesus announces to the whole, whole group that Judas is going to betray him. And then he actually tells all the other disciples, it's like, it's not like you guys are off the hook. You guys are going to betray me too. And then Peter, you got to love Peter, loud mouth, no filter, just spouts up, says, no, Lord, I will never. We'll see how that works out. Um, Peter says, all will fall away, or I will not fall away from you, Jesus. Even if I have to die, I will not deny you. And that'll preach. Like, that's tweetable. I will die before I deny you, Jesus. Like, you want to impress people? Make a big declaration of faith like that. Post that to Twitter, see how many likes you get. Post that to Instagram, see how many shares you get. These big bombastic statements about being able to stand for Jesus, that'll get you a lot of attention. That'll get you a lot of pats on the back. Like, I will never fall away. The modern equivalent I was thinking of, like, has anybody seen the Facebook meme that says, like, are you brave enough to share this picture of Jesus on your Facebook? It's like these big shows of faith. This is what Peter is doing. 
He is standing and he's proclaiming his faithfulness, his strength, his fidelity for Jesus. And honestly, we see stuff like this and we get inspired. Like I can remember back when Columbine happened uh, and, and we all remember the, the story of the school shooting where the guy came and he, he held a gun to the girl's head as the story and said, if, are you a Christian? She said, yes. And, and then he murdered her. And I can't tell you how many youth sermons growing up I heard where they would like put you in that same scenario and they'd be like, would you stand for Jesus in this moment? Would you deny him? Or would you say yes? And like these kinds of things in our culture, this is like what gets you a lot of thumbs up, a lot of praise. And so it's really interesting when we see Jesus respond to Peter, when Peter says, I will die for you, Jesus. For us, we think pats on the back. But Jesus responds to Peter, who are you kidding? <laughs> no, you won't. In fact, before the day is over, you're going to deny me three times. And this is where Peter's not my kind of night, night begins. In verse 36 through 38, it says, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. That's such a hard word to say. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And so Jesus knows what lies ahead for him in the next few hours. He knows he's going to be crucified. And what we need to know about the crucifixion is it's not just a simple death penalty. No, the crucifixion is a, is a tool of torture. It's a tool to show all the enemies of Rome how powerful the Roman government is and to deter any future insurrections that would come their way. They wanted to make the cross as excruciating a pain as they possibly could. It was a prolonged, torturous act. It wasn't simple electric chair or lethal injection. So Jesus is, it says he's troubled. And Jesus goes to pray and he asks his disciples to pray with him. His friends, his closest confidants, he asks them to stand by his side in his moment of weakness. Jesus goes to pray and then when he comes back to check on his disciples, verse 40, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? Peter, Mr. Even if I had to die, I will stand with you. Couldn't stay awake for an hour to pray with his grieving, troubled friend. It's just not this guy's night. The disciples, they fell asleep on Jesus. And what's worse about this is Jesus comes and wakes them up and rebukes them and says, okay, can you pray with me again? I'm going to go pray. Pray for me, please. And then when he comes back the second time, they're asleep yet again. Peter, rough night for this dude. I mean, this is Jesus. And he's begging you to pray for him. But yeah, like the Bible says, like he's sorrowful and troubled. Like what kind of selfish person wouldn't pray with their friend who's in trouble? 
it's just not Peter's night. He screws it all up, and it gets worse from here. Jesus is finished praying, and then he gets arrested, and this is what happens. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? And the gospel of John tells us that the person who cut off the guy's ear was Peter. Come on, man. He's screwing up already. We haven't even got to his worst stuff. Like Jesus is building a new kind of kingdom. Like the Jews of the time were expecting the Messiah to come and to overthrow Rome by military might and by power. They expected Messiah to be a person who would grant freedom to Israel by wielding power over their oppressors. But Jesus' kingdom is a different kind of kingdom. And Peter's been hearing these teachings from Jesus for years. And it's pretty apparent he still doesn't understand Like, Jesus' kingdom isn't built through self-defense. Jesus' kingdom is built through self-sacrifice. Jesus' kingdom isn't built through power and strength. It's built through humility and love. And even though Peter had been around for three years, like, think about all the teachings that Peter would have firsthand seen Jesus say. Turn the other cheek. Walk the extra mile. Gain by, like, first is last, last is first. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. All these things that Peter heard when it came time for Jesus to lay down his life, which Jesus was also continually warning his disciples was going to happen, Peter just doesn't get it. Peter's first response was not to listen to all the teachings that Jesus had said. His first response was to fight back. The Bible says he takes off one of their ears, and I would assume you're not swinging a sword for somebody's ear. He was probably going for the kill, and he's a fisherman, not the most skilled with a sword. Man. And I love love just a, a little note that the book of Luke adds a little extra flavor to this story by telling us that Jesus actually picks that man's ear off the ground and heals him. The very man who would arrest him, Jesus heals. Like, man, it should show us that we're not here to fight our enemies. We're here to not even tolerate our enemies. We're here to bless those who persecute you. Love our enemies. But by attacking this guy, Peter screws up again. After making his big, bold faith pronouncement... Peter still obviously does not understand Jesus' kingdom after all this time. It's, it's just not Peter's night, you know? So Jesus is finally arrested and taken, and this is when Peter really screws it up. This is the passage that Kim read earlier. Verse 69, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. 
After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And people hate on Peter a lot. But at this point, I'm starting to feel a little sorry for Peter. I've even poked fun at him this morning, but I kind of feel for him. It's just not a good night for him. Over and over and over, he screws up. And what's even worse about him screwing up is he screws up after this big, giant pronouncement of his great faith. Peter has this big, Instagrammable moment. I will never deny you, Jesus. And then cut to a couple hours later, he has fallen asleep while praying, tried to murder a man, and then denied even knowing Jesus three times. The rooster crowed, and it was at that moment that Peter remembered what Jesus said. And Luke twenty-two sixty-one has a little more information about what happened when the rooster crowed. It said, The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me, Three times. So right after Peter denies Jesus for the third time, the rooster crows and Jesus makes eye contact with him. He looks at him. This is like a kind of a record scratch moment. Like it's the moment in the movie where the music stops and all the focus gets put in our main character. Peter makes eye contact with Jesus. In the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this kangaroo court Peter makes eye contact with Jesus after failing him and the question I'm I'm left with is what kind of look did Jesus look at Peter with I mean Peter walked with Jesus for years he was one of his closest disciples and in Jesus's moment of need Peter abandons him Peter couldn't empathize and pray with Jesus in the garden. His attack and attempted murder of the soldiers show that Peter hadn't understood Jesus' teachings at all. So maybe Jesus would look over to Peter with like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? I told you you were going to deny me and you still did it? Like, I would think Jesus would be angry or maybe, maybe Jesus would be like, like casting judgment. Like, dude, what goes around comes around. You deny me, we'll see how that works out for you. Or maybe Jesus feels betrayed, like, I can't believe you would do this. But the Bible actually gives us a little bit of insight into the kind of look that Jesus looked at Peter with. The word used here is implebo, implebo, something like that. And the definition of the word is far more than just the look. The definition is to look at in a sustained, concentrated way, with special interest, love, and concern. I don't know if, I don't know about you, but if I were Jesus, I'd be angry. (laughs) Be like, dude, this is when I needed you, and you left me. I would be angry. I would, I would want to make sure that Peter knew how I felt. Like, dude, but Jesus looks at Peter not with condemnation, not with judgment, but with love and concern. Jesus looks at Peter with grace. 
Though Peter was reminded of his failure as the rooster crowed, when Jesus turned to look at him, Peter saw grace in his eyes. And verse 75 says it causes Peter to weep bitterly. But what Peter didn't know was that Christ was doing, what Christ was doing on that night would pay for the penalty of Peter's shame. Jesus would take on Peter's shame on the cross. He would bear his shame. Like Jesus was denied by Peter so that Peter could be welcomed by God. Like Peter had these big words that he couldn't live up to, but Jesus on that night sealed the covenant with his blood. Like all the things that Peter couldn't do, Jesus made up for. Jesus was faithful when Peter was not. Jesus was true to his word while Peter was crushed under the weight of his own. Jesus, with the joy set before him, endured the cross. Like a lamb led to slaughter, it says. Like Jesus was willing to die, Peter was not. But because this is not the end of Jesus' story... It's also not the end of Peter's story. Because on the cross, Jesus paid for the sin of the world. He paid for Peter's sin. But through his resurrection, he gives new life, new birth, a way to be welcomed into the family of God. Because Jesus' story is not over, Peter's story is not over. Because Jesus' story is not over, our story is not either. And so... The Gospel of John actually gives us some insight about what happens after Jesus is resurrected and finally gets a chance to kind of circle back around with Peter. After all this happens, after the denial, after Jesus dies, after he's resurrected, John 21 says that Peter decides to go fishing. And Peter's out fishing. Jesus shows up on the shore, tells Peter to throw his net a certain place. Peter catches a large bunch of fish that he can't even bring into his boat. And it's at that moment that Peter knows, oh, that's Jesus. So Peter strips off his clothes and like feverishly swims towards the shore to meet him. And this is when we see this conversation between Peter and Jesus, where Jesus restores Peter. In this, uh, 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 Jesus forgives Peter for his foolishness and pride. And after this whole thing is over, after this whole conversation, Jesus leaves Peter with the same words he said to him when they first met. Follow me. You see, this whole picture that happens after Peter fails is the same exact story that happens when Jesus first calls Peter. It's a mere image for a reason. It's there to tell us that although Peter failed, although he screwed up, Jesus can restore. Jesus can bring new life, new birth, and he can give you a new start. That's what he came to do. It's not about all your performing. It's not about your massive amount of faith. Man, it's not about your faithfulness to God. It's about God's faithfulness 
to you. It's not about your love for God. It's about God's love for you. It's not about all your performing and all you're doing. It's about resting in what he has done already on the cross and allowing that to shape and form you. Brendan Manning has a quote that says, What makes authentic disciples is not visions, ecstasies, biblical mastery of chapter and verse, or spectacular success in the ministry, but a capacity for faithfulness. This is how he describes disciples, buffeted by the fickle winds of failure, battered by their own unruly emotions, and bruised by rejection and ridicule, authentic disciples may have stumbled and fallen freakly. They may have endured lapses and relapses. They may have wandered into a far country, yet they kept coming back to Jesus. That is what marks a true disciple. And that's why we take communion every week because the mark of a true disciple is not your big words, your big ask, all, your, all the things that you place your hope in is not what saves you. The mark of a true disciple is the continual orientation of your life coming back to Jesus. So we take communion every week to remind us, first to like look at your lives, look at all the times you said, I'm never gonna do that again. Never going to drink. I'm never going to get angry. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to do this thing again. I'm all sold out. I'm all in Jesus. And then you look back and you see all the broken promises you made to yourself and all the broken promises you made to God. And when we take communion, it reminds us of our foolishness to think that we could somehow save ourselves, somehow make ourselves righteous. It reminds us that only he could save us. Only he can forgive us, and only he has the power to help us overcome our sin. And just this morning, like, Jesus is looking at you in this room the same way he looks at Peter. Not with condemnation or judgment, but with grace. Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for sin, and he rose again that you may be born into his family. And this morning... You can turn to him and he can restore you. This is what Christ has done for you. All you need to do is come. Admit your weakness. Ask him to restore, heal, and forgive you. And like for for those of you in this room who are thinking like, yeah, cute story. Peter had a rough night. But you don't know. I've had a rough life. One night compared to thousands. The truth of the gospel is this, that there is no amount of sin that the love and grace of Jesus Christ cannot overcome. There is no words you've said, no chemicals you've ingested. There is nothing you can do to sin that outweighs the love of Christ. Like this is the kind of love that Romans says that neither like uh, poverty or famine, not you know, powers or principalities, nothing, angels or demons, nothing can separate you from this love of God. This is the love of God that knows no boundary, no limit, no breaking point. There's nothing that can end it. It endures forever. There's nothing you've done that can separate you from his love if you simply come to him. And so that's why we take communion, to experience this love, to come back to Jesus. We experience his love for us through communion as a symbol of his body broken 
in his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins and our new life we experience with him. So for all who want to come this morning to Jesus to be forgiven, restored, and made new, we invite you to take communion over this next song. We're changing it up. We're back to at least coming up front and grabbing communion. You can take communion during worship. But communion is this symbol the, the cracker on top represents his blood that was broken for you. And the juice is his blood that was shed to seal the covenant. It's like all the things we've promised God that we've failed on, we can hope in this, that he made a promise to us, and because he died and rose again, we can wholeheartedly grab onto it and trust in it. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the work you did on the cross to forgive us our sin. I know as I read this story, I read about Peter, I see myself in it more than I'd like to admit. Lord Jesus, I see all the times where I promised things, all the times where I screwed up, all the things I, I should have seen clearly but just didn't. Lord Jesus, but I I also see the restoration that you bring, Peter. And I long for that to happen in my own heart. I long for that to happen in the hearts of everyone in this room. Lord, I long to see that kind of restoration and healing take place in our city. And so, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would move in this room and you would kind of wiggle into the rough corners of our hearts and help that truth become alive in us. Help us to long for that more than we long for anything else. Lord, we just want to experience your love and your grace and your power power. Lord Jesus, I pray that's what you do this morning. Lord, as we take communion, remind us of our foolish attempts to save ourselves, but also encourage us for your great power to forgive our sin and to make us new again. Lord Jesus, that's what I pray this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I just invite you all over the course of this next song to come, take communion, and then worship Jesus for all he's done for us. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is not intended to serve as a substitute for gathering with a local body of believers but as a resource that encourages and empowers you to follow Jesus as your heart is pointed towards the gospel. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org.